Hello everyone, welcome to That's the Hattrick. I'm your host Aditya Rao and this is the first episode of Wacko Weekends. Wow, what a weekend that was for both cricket and football and there's so many things to go over. It's been so hectic. You know, I've been trying to follow a lot of games so I can talk about them on this show. Uh, just looking at what players are doing well. There's so many ups and downs. There's so much inconsistency going on because uh, you look at the English Premier League and they're only five games in. Teams are toppling over bigger teams. And, you know, there's there's a lot of Robin Hood play going on where big teams beat, uh, sorry, small teams beat big teams and big teams lose to other small teams, uh, taking taking from the rich and giving to the poor. Um, and it's, it's very interesting to see because the Premier League table obviously hasn't settled down yet. Uh, you know, when you see Everton leading five games in with 13 points, you know, Ancelotti, fantastic job. And then you look to second and it's Aston Villa. Aston Villa with four wins in four. Two goals conceded in four games. That's it. And they've scored 12 goals. So there's a free scoring team. Of course, seven of them did come against Liverpool. But it's just... So it, it's so surprising. I mean, Dean Smith, like they were, they were literally on their heels last season, uh, backs to the wall in that last game, and uh, they survived relegation. Look at the way they've hit the ground running, um, and and some players have really stepped up. Ross Barkley, one of them. Jack Grealish is showing a little bit more leadership, and you know the the saga that he had, you know, with going to a bigger club, you know, Manchester United, for example. Uh, the transfer saga that played out for Grealish also helped him out a little bit to find out who he is more as a person. And, you know, what kind of leadership qualities he can bring to Aston Villa. Because I feel like he's a very powerful presence in the dressing room for that team. So I'm going to start off with the Wacko Weekend Roundup. So we're going to look at all the results around world football that made the news. And uh, let's start off with the Merseyside Derby. So much to talk about. So much to talk about in this game. Uh, two goals apiece. Uh, great score draw. Obviously, Everton haven't beaten... Liverpool for for you know for a long time it's it's I thought this was the one result where that was bound to happen this is probably the best Everton side or at least consistently performing side for the first five games in in this season and you expect them to sort of fire out of the blocks but uh, Liverpool you know the two big names Salah and Mane getting on the score sheet uh, Dominic Cabot Lewin was just brilliant again but that sort of fiery nature of the game itself was taken away a little bit by you know the off the off the ball events, uh, starting with the Virgil Van Dijk injury. Uh, you know Jordan Pickford terrible challenge must be said, and uh, you know now we just found out that Virgil Van Dijk probably gonna have uh, be out for most of the season, if not the whole season, with that ACL injury, and that is a big blow because you look at the cornerstone of every every good Premier League team. Liverpool themselves last season, you know, the spine of the team was was absolutely, probably one of the best in world football, if not the best, last year. You know, Alisson, Van Dijk, Fabinho sweeping around. You could put Henderson into that equation. And then up top you have, you know, Firmino, who himself is going through a bit of trouble this season. He's only one goal in his last 20 games. Uh, you know, despite people talk about the style of game he plays. But even then, you know, you can't excuse that for being a striker, even if you're a false nine or a tranquilista or anything like that. You can't excuse that. He's he's definitely going through a rut. And he's definitely being caddied by Mane and Salah, who are absolutely being explosive over the last year or so. 
And so you think about that spine, and you know, last week they didn't have Allison, who I feel was a really big miss uh, against Aston Villa when when they lost uh, uh, 7-2. Uh, you can't blame it all on him. There were some lucky goals involved in that for Villa. But now, without Van Dijk, it's it's going to be really tough for them. It's going to be interesting to see how they come up against the big teams. I imagine Jurgen Klopp would not want to change a lot of things. I imagine Joey Gomez and uh, Joel Matip, who's definitely a candidate to fill that role in. But, you know, the, the presence of Van Dijk off the ball, on the ball, the way he spares the ball out to the wingers uh, is is just going to be missed a lot for, for the remainder of the season. And, uh, you know, I... I do, I do see a lot of things online that, that, that say that petitions, uh, you know, that's from the Liverpool fans saying that, you know, oh, Jordan Pickford should face some kind of uh, consequence for that challenge. But I feel that if the play wasn't an offside, uh, he would definitely have got a red card for this. It's a terrible challenge. There's nothing else to say about it. But do petitions and sort of these kind of change or org things actually do anything about it? No, the FA is not going to take any action. Um, it's, it's, it's just going to be what it is and got to carry on with it. It was a reckless challenge from Jordan Pickford, who himself is under a lot of fire because he's probably, in my opinion, the only weak link in that Everton team at the moment because all the other players are stepping up. You know, the midfield, I talked about it in my first episode. James Rodriguez, Ducor, they're all solid players. And when you have DCL up front scoring for Will, uh, the only thing I really look at is that defense and in particular Jordan Bickford because he's under fire. Um, and, and yeah, if that wasn't upside, he would definitely have been sent off. VR would have def- definitely given him sent off. But the reason why VR didn't intervene there, although I do agree VR can be very weird at times of the way it works, but the reason why I didn't intervene there was because the play was dead. There was The ball was dead. So... And speaking of offsides, how about that? The winner, uh, you know, I that is something I cannot excuse VAR for. Uh, and I imagine how fuming and livid Liverpool fans would have been with that because Everton at the point, I mean, Everton would have been dead and buried at that point. 3 2, uh, near the end of the game. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very tough on them. And this is why I don't understand VAR points. You know, Jordan Henderson comes on after the game, talks about these squiggly lines and sort of angle lines and that's what I felt it was because it depends on where exactly the camera the VAR camera is seeing it and uh, and the software can actually draw the line of where the attacking player is versus where the defensive player is but what I would suggest is if VAR was to do something like that why don't you have a continuous camera that sort of has a rail on which it sits on the side of the pitch and it follows the ball follows the last attacking lineman it sort of gives the VR officials in Stockley Park a little bit more to look at. And it's a straight line. You're looking at a straight line from, uh, you know, frontal vision, like tunnel vision. You're not looking at it from an angle. Like the broadcast cameras are usually right about the halfway line. So that's also something that can be improved. And and, and I, don't, I, I don't see why I wouldn't be. I, I would definitely be livid if I was a Liverpool fan. And um, it, it is something that has ruined the game a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it's it, Liverpool just got to move on with it. Uh, no wins in the last two, although that's the con- consequence of that. They've stuttered a little bit. But how about Aston Villa? Aston Villa have just been just been great so far. Four, four games, four wins. Leicester, they beat Leicester. One of the, Leicester was a really good team last season. Yes, they didn't make the top four. But I feel like Leicester is a team that, you know, 
is expected to win at home against Aston Villa. And Aston Villa, you know, the way they, the target defending, the late Barkley winner, it's, it's all just coming together for, for Dean Smith. And I feel like the way they're playing so far, uh, and, uh, you know, this might be a hot take as a season, I feel like they could finish in the top half. Uh, you know, unless, unless you know they, they don't want to lose players to injury and everything, but uh, this is a great start for Aston Villa, and they should. I mean, Dean Smith will probably experiment a little bit more, try to learn the team a bit more, especially the new additions. But this is this is definitely a team that's on the up. There's a lot of positive energy there. Jack Grealish as a as a leader is definitely very very very. He's making a good case for himself right now. So all good things, all good things for the Villa. Let's move south to Italy for the moment. And what about Zlatan Ibrahimovic? Uh, you know, a man who said, uh, you know, he's, he calls himself a god. He calls himself, you know, the, the Messiah, the savior of everything. And and there are, there are times, you know, you, you know, you look at his social media posts and he says, you know, I see no reflection in the mirror because there can only be one Zlatan. And he can come off as a very self, uh, you know, sort of a, into himself kind of person and sometimes you think oh yeah yeah I mean this guy is cocky he's full of himself and then he goes on the pitch and he does that you know he's supposed to be washed up he came back from the MLS uh, this is the, towards the end of his career he's come back to Milan and he's absolutely owned Inter and Inter was such a good team Inter you know the, the kind of players they have the, the kind of transfer business they've done their manager it's all of it's very good team and you know, this Milan team has been very up and down, uh, you know, it's since their sort of great early 2000 years. And it, it, a result like this really kicks you on because now they won four out of their first, they won all their games so far, conceding just one goal. And Zlatan Ibrahimovic, such a powerful figure, you know, yeah, he's, he's a massive person. He's got, you know, an aura about him. But just to lead the team that way is, is really great to see. Two goals. Um, obviously, Romelu Lukaku getting one for Inter. But, you know, it's this sort of performance that, you know, like players like Zlatan can take the game by the scuff of the neck and, and win it for you. Well, what about La Liga? La Liga saw a couple of big stutters from the, from the two sort of favorites to win the league, Barcelona and Real Madrid. Barcelona down in ninth in four games and they've... Uh, admittedly played two games lesser than the leader Sociedad, but two games, uh, one, one drawn and one lost, seven points. Uh, Real Madrid, meanwhile, are in a little bit of a better shape, but they have played one game more than Barcelona, and it's 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 all up in the air right now. I want to really talk about Cadiz because they've beaten Huesca, they've beaten a couple of big big other teams that you know, uh, and and they've they've gone over in these top of these teams. So it's, I'm, I'm, I'm completely surprised by the result even then because Real Madrid is a completely different proposition. But uh, it's, it's, you just think about what Zidane has to think about now for the next game. And uh, you, you, it's kind of like puts a little bit, because they host Shakhtar Donetsk and they probably want to, uh, you know, get back in form because next Saturday they're playing Barcelona uh, at the Camp Nou and then they got Mitchell Gladbach. So another really big game. So it's it's going to be very interesting for them. Barcelona, the meanwhile, lost to Getafe. Uh, it was Mata, it was a Mata goal that actually settled it in the end. But you know, the I look at the stats for that game: seventy-three percent possession. 
nine shots in target for the home side and seven for Barcelona. And I just think about, you know, is it always possession? You know, Barcelona is a, is a team that sticks their authority onto the, onto the opposition and sort of uh, forces them to play their way. They keep the ball a lot. They tire out the opposition. But, you know, we've seen a lot of teams in the past, especially the Jose Mourinho teams, um, sort of move away from that and do a quality quantity over, quality over quantity sort of thing where they just go uh, route one, very direct passing, uh, a lot of pace on the wings and things like that. And Barcelona, I feel like they're going through that span where there are a lot of so good servants at the club, but they're way past their peak. And I don't think there are a lot of people in that Barcelona team who are not fit to wear the shirt, must be said, especially after that 8 2. Uh, and, and you know their failure in, to win the La Liga last season and again I talked talk about this in episode 1 there's just a lot of bad aura around the club right now and that needs to be sorted out and this kind of result definitely doesn't help that uh, it, it certainly kind of reinforces that it, obviously it's very early on in the season and they've only played 4-5 or five games uh, in, in most of the league but you just want to sort of put this behind you and it can be hard at times, you know, especially what the media is saying, the papers, blah, blah, blah. So uh, it's, it's, it's just a trying time for Barcelona in general at the moment. Bayern Munich winning 4-1 in the Bundesliga against Armenia. Uh, Robert Lewandowski really, really, really exemplifies the sort of modern day striker. He's, he's not the fastest person in the world, but boy, can he, he can put in a good sprint. He can brush people off. He's great at hitting the ball. He can hit all kinds of goals like volleys, uh, finesses, uh, and he's always top bins. He's, he's, he's top quality. A couple of goals for him in that 4-1 win. And uh, Bayern Munich uh, looking good in second position uh, in the league. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I would feel very uh, confident if you were them or Borussia Dortmund, who have also won their third game uh, away last week, uh, this week. Leipzig unbeaten. Uh, with 10 points, top of the league there, and just two goals conceded in those four games. So really good step up from that Leipzig defense uh, to kind of sort of keep them at the top of the league. Moving back to England, what about Tottenham Hotspur? And that game last night, you know, three goals in the first half. You know, the way Harry Kane and Son have been connected. Six assists for Kane to Son so far. And that that is absolutely ridiculous. You think... Kane would be getting assists from from Hyunmin Son, but it's been sort of this like striker winger partnership that we haven't seen uh, at Tottenham Hotspur for a bit, especially since you know Gareth Bale was at the at the club and he kind of was that main uh, focal point of their attack, and uh, he sort of made he made his debut uh, in his second stint, you know, coming off the bench, but. I really want to talk about Tottenham because they they have this sort of bottling DNA in them uh, as a club and that never seems to sort of move away from the club. It's always there. There's, there's a possibility that, you know, they can squander big leads. Yes, when they went to Old Trafford and beat United 6-1, it was less of that because the way they were playing was sort of confident and, you know, very, very, very just great on the ball, direct counter-attack, Son, Kane, the pace that they had and you know the dynamism in that front uh, front two front three really kept United in bay but West Ham you know that uh, the second half they just sort of piled on the pressure and and they didn't they didn't they didn't allow Tottenham Hotspur to sort of have 
a simple game in the second half and that sort of told I mean every goal they scored was was very well warranted for West Ham uh, Babuela getting on a score sheet makes it 3-1 uh, and Lanzini, how about that Lanzini goal? Absolutely brilliant. Uh, you know, just takes a swipe at it. It reminds me of that Alex Tetti goal uh, from a couple of years ago, and reminds me of almost every other Paul Scholes uh, goal. Just this sort of you know shoot without thinking kind of thing. Uh, you know, defenders closing him down, and he just uh, the power he gets behind that shot is amazing. And Lanzini. Yes, he's been unlucky with a couple of injuries the last couple of years, and he's he's a really good player to watch. Uh, I feel that there's a lot of potential with him, and, and and I feel that he's someone who can who can really do well for West Ham this season if he stays fit and if he stays consistent. But Tottenham, on the other hand, you know, three goals up, and you know the way they played last week, it's very polar. You know, first game of the season, lost at home to uh, Everton, uh, and then you know. They they won two games, you know they uh, won seven two against Maccabi. You expect them to win there. The dodgy equalizer to Newcastle, uh, you know obviously the six one at Old Trafford, but uh, you know they, they, then they go to Southampton and win five two. So it's a very testing time for Mourinho. What his is what is his best eleven? You look at it, you look at it, his stints at you know Chelsea and the team that won in 2014-15. Eight out of the eleven players put in a constant eight out of ten uh, performance every week, or they're always there. There's squad rotation is a thing, but it's with the two three fringe players, the sort of squad players. The eight out of eleven players are set. You know who they are. They know each other. They play all the time on the field. They're probably trained separately and in, uh, in things like that. Jose Mourinho does not know that yet, and it's 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 been more. It's been a while since he was appointed as the Spurs boss and, and you expect him to know that. Speaking of another person who does not know their best starting 11 is uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Of course, big morale boosting win on Saturday against Newcastle. And Newcastle is a team that can be hard to beat. And, and you've seen Manchester United sort of struggle against the the sort of mid-table and low-table, low, 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 lower lowerly table sides. And uh, yeah, Newcastle beat Burnley 3-1 convincingly last week uh, in their last game. And you know, when they took the lead, it was a very freak goal. And, and you know, Luke Shaw is under a lot of pressure right now. Uh, he's sort of been, since he moved to the club in 2014, he's sort of been this player who's supposedly going to be uh, the sort of next Patrice Evra, the, you know, the next roaring fullback that Manchester United has. He's sort of always on the brink of being that. And then he puts in a performance like, you know, the one against Newcastle. Because obviously the own goal is very unlucky. But just Luke Shaw as a whole has been very kind of polar. Now Alex Tejas has come into the team. And how will that affect him? Uh, you know, Cavani is going to be a good addition. Because I feel like, again, as I was saying, Ole does not know his best 11 completely. But, you know, if you have a striker like Cavani who can bring in 18 to 20 goals... Uh, you know, in the Premier League season, obviously he's a top, top striker, and he's not—he's—he's past his peak, having not played for the last six months. But I still feel that he's got a great finish in him. Um, you know, they had that with Lukaku, and, and it's—they sort of given that up a little bit. Uh, and and uh, I, I really enjoyed the the uh, the performances of Bruno Fernandez and uh, and Rashford. Bruno missed that penalty, of course. 
saved by Darlow, but uh, the, the, the counter-attacking goals, when Manchester United play, you know, clutter-free in their mind, when they know what they're doing, uh, they're very good. You saw it in the last portion after Project Restart last season, you know, nine conse- consecutive away wins now for Manchester United, if you include last season. So, when they play hassle-free, sort of direct football, solid football, they're very good to watch. Midfield, Paul Pogba, uh, McTominay, Fred, which is your best pairing? Which is your best sort of holding and, uh, you know, Donny van de Beek can't get uh, edgewise at this side at this moment. You know, he, I, I feel like he's someone who could walk into the team. He's a very solid midfielder. You see the performances he uh, did, he had, you know, the Ajax-Real Madrid game comes to mind, uh, where Ajax won 4-1 in uh, Madrid. And the performance he had that day against, uh, you know, a stellar Madrid midfield, you know, he's 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 not he's not the bulkiest sort of most physical person in the world, but he can he can definitely sort of control a midfield, and it, it's really surprising to me why he doesn't get into the team. Although Oli himself is it's very early in the season and they're trying to figure out their best eleven, but it's 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 really something that should be sorted out pretty soon for United, especially because they're very very inconsistent. Uh, you know, two home defeats, two wins away from home. Um, and the way Manchester United away from home have been really good and now they come out against Chelsea next weekend Chelsea with their own problems uh, and they've generally done well against the big six United but this is going to be a different sort of test uh, it's still finding who they are as a team you know remember the Man United Chelsea game last season United won 4-0 and then Chelsea sort of went on a better run than United and United were languishing in six so but coming to Chelsea the 3-3 draw, draw this weekend, you know, Timo Werner, obviously big plus, first couple of goals in a, in a Chelsea shirt. Uh, they beat Crystal Palace resoundingly uh, last time out. But this time out, I feel like Southampton, you know, we were talking about the big teams, sort of, uh, like the Liverpools and the, the United, uh, sort of, you know, are they at their best? Are they not at their best? Uh, you, It's the start of the season, you can never tell that, but... With Chelsea, you know, I feel like, again, we talked about in, in the first episode, Oliver and Sosha being in a, in a, in a hot seat. Uh, Lampard is sort of in that range because I, I do feel like Chelsea now, you know, they, they're they a very much changed team from what they were uh, under, you know, Conte or Mourinho. They're, they're very, very much more direct. They're all about energy, pace. Um, and it's much less about keeping the ball. Uh, Chelsea have always been a very good direct team, uh, you know, at home especially. And sort of Timo Werner is such a great attacking point that Kai, uh, Kai Havertz. Uh, but, you know, Kepa, we were talking about Jordan Pickford. Kepa has had some really easy, had three goals, three errors leading to goal, goals, uh, which is the most. And it's, it's just, uh, it's another situation where you don't want to be in because he's the highest... Uh, transfer budget for a goalkeeper, 71 million is what they paid for him uh, when they bought him from Spain. So it's it's a decision like they they have to make at some point. You know, I feel like Everton will have to make that decision at some point because there are goalkeepers out there. I certainly look at uh, you know the the transfer of uh, Emiliano Martinez from Arsenal to Villa um, and you know what he's doing right now. You know, if an Everton or uh, I would say even at Chelsea, if they got that, it would be very helpful to them. Kepa, you know, that sorry incident, 
uh, at Wembley. Since I feel like since then, it's, it's just it's it's not been the same with him, and, and he has he's very error prone. I mean, there's he's a he's a very good goalkeeper, sort of traditionally, but he has that error in him, and that's and kind of showed that against Southampton. Uh, and, and, and obviously it doesn't help when you concede a 90th minute uh, equalizer. So and, and Chelsea need, really need to sort out their the, their back four again. I said Oli doesn't know his uh, best starting lineup for United, but Ch- uh, Lampard's in the same place. What is your best starting lineup? Will we get a clue at Old Trafford, or will we get a clue against Sevilla in the Champions League? Is all to seen, all to be seen. But uh, I feel like Lampard is another manager like Oli who's honeymoon period is sort of over and now fans expect this result especially after the kind of money that Lampard has spent on players like Havertz and uh, and, uh, and Werner and the sort of quality you have up front in you know, Pulisic and you, you 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 can't always outscore the opponent yes they'll bring you goals they brought you three goals at home against Southampton but he's, he's just start uh, Frank Lampard didn't sort of have assets for his defense, like to spend money on defense, and it, it really shows from that result. What about Man City? Man City themselves, you know, in the top half now, thanks to that win against Arsenal, albeit a 1-0 win. They, do, they did look like they were in control of the game for the most part. You know, Raheem Sterling, I've, I've been impressed with Raheem Sterling uh, recently. Uh, he's matured a lot. Uh, you know, last season and a couple of seasons before, you'd see him uh, sort of miss these erratic chances. You'd miss him one-on-ones. Sort of hit the post, hit the bar when he's on, on through on goal, uh, ice to the goalkeeper. So he, you know, it's nice to see him the way he is playing now. I, I do feel like at times there are instances where Raheem Sterling overplays. You know, uh, you know, there was an instance in the Arsenal game where um, he was he was up against uh, Berrin. You know, sort of cuts inside. Uh, puts Berrien on his back and then instead of shooting the ball you know a little bit more directness from Sterling and he probably could have settled the game um, you know Phil Fortin had a really great chance as well uh, but yeah so this is the thing with City is they do overplay at times and you know a little bit more directness uh, you know I think about the directness that Yaya Torre had yes great passer and everything in that one season where he scored 20 goals the sort of the the there's the courage to take a shot and back yourself to take a shot. I feel like that still needs to come to Raheem Sterling. He finishes really well, but that still is still there. But his maturing process is going really well. And, you know, the way he spoke at the press conference after the game as well, uh, sort of being very concise about things. And he seemed to be in a positive, ex- express a positive vibe, which is very good if you're a City fan. Uh, from an Arsenal's perspective, Gabriel was solid again. Uh, you know, on the previous show, Tony Adams was talking about how impressed he was with uh, with Gabriel, and I've been impressed with him as well because Arsenal, you know, David Luiz is still a, you know, he's old, and in David Luiz, I don't know if he'll be the Arsenal centre back for the long term, maybe even for the rest of the season if they get a if they get a better centre back in the winter transfer market, but. I do feel like Gabriel is is showing a lot of good good things. You know, he's pretty strong and uh, he can definitely make a really good tackle. Uh, Kieran Tierney, uh, decent performance from him as well in that game. Although the front three sort of 
went quiet and uh, you know in a game like that you, you expect you expect that city to sort of come out of the blocks and attack arsenal because it, you know if history suggests that's that's the sort of game they were expecting from the etihad um, you know you expect city to have like 60 70% of the ball and that's what they did they had 60% of the ball against arsenal um, but i feel like city did give arsenal chances and uh, you know that front three is just saying just didn't show up and it's been a th- it's been a theme with arsenal over the last few years uh, crystal palace have won nine games at the so called big six arsenal have won only two games away to the big six so it serves this big game mentality that arsenal lacks uh, you know i was talking about granit zaka and uh, uh, patrick vieira it's kind of like the the comparison as to the are the leaders that the arsenal team had uh, in the past tony adams you know uh, and and the leaders on the pitch now is you can give the captain to a uh, captain's armament to bamiang but he's that player who will tell you hey get back in position like and sort of express his mind when things are not going well for the club i'm not completely sure about that so arsenal still have to find a sort of leader like that and 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 i feel like um, you know that is something that they will they will find out through uh, process of transfer or someone's going to come through the academy and that's our roundup for the weekend football and now we're going to move on to the indian premier league uh, and over to cricket and wow today uh, sunday today sunday october 18th and we've witnessed probably one of the most entertaining close days of cricket uh, in the history of the IPL. I don't think it's ever happened before to see a super over uh, go uh, happen in both games, the early game and the late game. In fact, the late game going into a second super over uh, and Kings 11 Punjab 176 for 6 beating the Mumbai Indians and for a long time in that run chase you felt like the Kings 11 Punjab had control of the game. KL Rahul again uh coming big great I, i feel like he's shown a lot of maturity himself in terms of captaincy uh he's definitely put numbers on the board you know orange cap contender so is his partner uh mayank agarwal and you know you, you really need to you you feel like you know they can see you can they can see the the team home but it, it you know the last minute that that run out as well uh of kehlal sort of very a pivotal moment took the game to a super over and in a super over uh really 5 5 for 1 um the uh, sorry 5 for 5 for 2 the the kings 11 punjab and their three batsmen sort of just didn't get going in that super over and then uh, you know kl rahul got lbw it was it was great it was great bowling from jasprit bumrah to just keep them out to 5 And then the Mumbai Indians themselves, like Rohit Sharma came out. Apparently, he was not completely well towards the end of the game in the Super Over, and it just didn't work out for them. Mohammad Shami bowled some really good. He's at the death. Mohammad Shami is a really good bowler, and uh, you know, as I, I would say, in instances, he's almost as good as Bumrah. So of course, Bumrah has more control over his length than that. But Mohammad Shami, the way he runs into the runs to the crease and sort of hits the deck hard and you know sort of skids the ball off the surface doesn't give the batsman any chance to hit him uh and and the only real weakness that Mohammad Shami has is the fact that if he pitches the 
uh, the ball short or in a you know a drivable length, a good length, is the batsman has space to hit it with, and all he has to do is time the ball, help it on its way if it's a bad line, and you know you can get hit towards the fence. In that second super over though, uh, you know things kind of changed a little bit, and 11 runs, Mumbai's got 11 runs, Pandya, Pollard, and uh, it's 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 a. You know, eleven runs is a lot, but but then the way it was defended, Trent Bolt I thought had a really terrible game. It's not one of his best. Uh, four overs, forty-eight runs, going at twelve and over in the game, and then a super over, full toss first up to Chris Gale, um, and then got hit for uh, a couple of boundaries, which finished the game off for for Punjab. It's a good win for Punjab. Still keeps them in the playoff hunt. I I still doubt that they will make it. Especially because the gap between fourth and fifth place now, because KKR won the super over early on in the in the day, uh, and and that was a very important victory for KKR because it brings them two points closer to the Royal Challengers and the Mumbai Indians now that they lost, uh, and and sort of keeps Kings Eleven Punjab at bay. CSK as well now all, all in six points. Uh, the the bottom four teams and the top four teams sort of can pull away a little bit with that gap. Um, but yeah, Mumbai Indians. I, f- I feel like there's a lot of positives to take from the game. You know, the way they lost wickets in the middle overs. Uh, Krunal Pandya came out before the uh, his younger brother and uh, Pollard and and sort of made a solid uh, solid benchmark for them. But then they just kept losing wickets. Decock who scored a good 50 again. He's been good touch recently. Uh, and he got out very, uh, very cheaply, and you, know, you thought you know the Mumbai Indians wouldn't get to sort of a 170, but and, and then the way the way they finished it off is great. The depth that the Mumbai Indians team has, you know, Ishan Kishan also didn't perform well uh, in this game, but the depth that they have is just staggering. And and you know after the end of the the regulation 20 overs, you know, uh, Krunal Pandya was talking to the the host, uh, the show host of the IPL, and they're saying you know. We have a sort of fluidity. We understand our roles in the in the team now, and there's sort of a clarity uh, as to how the batting lineup sort of works. You know, this this time is when Hardik Pandya comes in two or three down. You know, after Surya Yadav, the the next three Pollard and the two Pandya brothers are sort of very fluid. You know, if if it's 15 overs in and you know Mumbai Indians lose their second wicket at say a 140, you probably want to send Pollard in. Uh, he can, because he can get his eye in early and hit the hit the long shot. If it's sort of earlier, 13, 14, you're bringing Pandya and he sort of be, becomes the aggressor for two, three overs, and then sort of uh, you know backs off and allows his partner to get set. And then if you're and then Krunal Pandya, for example, comes in at you know 10th, 11th over if you lose your second wicket, and uh, he's he's a bit more of a. a He's, he's not a he, well. He can hit the long ball, but he's much more uh, he's much more down to uh, sort of rotate the strike and you know hit the bad balls away, but sensible cricket. So I feel like there is positives for Mumbai Indians to take. There's still six wins and three defeats out of nine, eleven on points with RCB. So there's there's I, I feel like they will make the playoffs. Uh, but this is a, this is sort of a small blip for them, and this is their second super over defeat. Uh, in this IPL, um, so they would be hoping that they they finish the job in the 20 overs to sort of uh, just just kill off games. You know, Mumbai Indians like the, their problem 
in the last few IPLs was that their starts were just terrible. The start of the season was terrible. But now, you know, they've started well. The goals just keep kicking it on and show a little bit more cutting edge as a bowling unit, you know, especially Trent Bolt. Uh, because I feel like he's one of the best bowlers in the world when he swings the ball into the right-handers, uh, brings LBW and you know the the outside edge into play as well as Bolt. So there's a couple of things they need to work on, and they they sort of have the time now for that couple of days before they play uh, CSK on the 24th. So yeah, it, it, it's 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 not the best situation to be in. But they're still second in the in the, in the league table. Two wins out of the last three. So Rohit Sharma will take that as a captain. But uh, I'm sure he they will be heart wrenched, especially the fact that they 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 reduced Kings Eleven to uh, five runs in the first over, and then they they themselves couldn't finish it. Well, I'm gonna move on to the the previous game in the day, which is KKR SRH. And what about that performance? Uh, from uh, you know KKR in the in the super over, I I for the for most of the most of the game you know especially in the run chase, it looked like SRH was in control. You know David Warner, uh, I, I found it interesting that David Warner came uh, uh, where he did. You know uh, two down. Yeah, obviously Johnny Bairstow and Kane Williamson opening the batting. I thought Kane Williamson uh, opening does suit him a little bit. He was very aggressive, a strike rate of 153. In the 19 balls that he faced for 29, and I feel that you know he could have kicked on, gave his wicket away really cheaply, caught and fine leg. Uh, but Johnny Bairstow as well getting a start, uh, just got uh, you know converted. The interesting thing I thought I thought that David Warner would come in at one down, but he came in two down. Priyam Gurg came in at one down, and that trick didn't work. Um, and so this kind of experimental batting changes, for, especially for your sort of set. Experienced overseas batsman is it doesn't seem to be working. Uh, Mumbai Indians, of course, the the three middle order batsmen, the Pandyas and Polar, they're sort of more their roles are sort of more defined. You know, we saw we saw RCB the other day against Punjab, and they send ABWers very very much down the order compared to where it normally goes, and it didn't work. They probably lost 10, 20 runs. Uh, you know, they were. Suspicions that AB might have been sick or he wasn't feeling well, but then he came out and batted and he, he he didn't last long. So I feel like Sunriser should send David Warner one down, especially because after he got in, you know the way Warner rotates strike. He's a very busy player on the pitch. He doesn't have a weak zone in terms of where exactly what kind of shots he can play. He's a 360 degree player, so you would want him coming on at at one down. Manish Pandey at two ideally. So that that ploy definitely didn't work. We haven't seen enough of Vijay Shankar. Samad came in and scored 23 or 15, and I thought he could be a little more, little bit more, uh, uh, you know, useful to the team that way as a as a sort of uh, death over pinch hitter. You have Rashid Khan as well, so they have they, they do bat deep, but is this figuring out that upper middle order uh, and sort of where exactly uh, David Warner comes in? And because I feel like he does deserve to come in one down. But that's super over. Lockie Ferguson. What a game he had. Uh, just three deliveries, two runs, two wickets. And he was outstanding even in the game. You know, four overs, 15 runs. 13 of his 24 deliveries in the game were dots. Uh, including three wickets. 
uh, economy of 3.75. So great addition to Kolkata Knight Riders. Sort of the kick they needed in the bowling lineup. You know, Pat Cummins was bought in for very expensive money. Uh, he did perform in this game, only going at 7 normal and picking up a wicket. But Pat Cummins generally has been hit around the park a little bit. But now he has Lucky Ferguson on the other side and he's, he's bowling. Uh, today he bowled really well. Andre Russell surprisingly went uh, 14 and a half an over. So Kuldeep Yadav obviously being back in the side, you know, when you lose someone like Suryal Narayan, what a spinner he is and, and, and you know, how, what he contributes to at the top of the other. So KKR has that depth, but now, you know, they're sort of still finding their rhythm as a bowling unit. And I think Lucky Ferguson is a great addition to the team, especially the, the way he hits the deck hard if he if he's bowling the ball short. He has a great full end delivery in him, you know, which goes under the bat at times. It's so hard to defend against. Um, so absolutely, absolutely vital that this performance came into Kolkata Knighters, especially because I was talking about earlier, the table, uh, it sort of creates that four point separation between themselves and the now six points out of nine games, Sunrisers who have lost three in a row. And uh, they, they, they will be desperately looking for, for a result in their, in their next game. They get a couple of days off. Uh, they play Kings Eleven Punjab next on the 24th. So, looking at some other games from, from the IPL, you know, uh, AB De Villiers, wow, nothing else to say about that. Uh, RCB looked down and out when Rahul Tevatia produ- produced that stunning catch effort in the deep. I really thought that was a six when it was when he was hit when he hit it but the we've seen some astonishing feeling in the IPL this year uh, and and Rahul Tavatia of course has benefited from from this IPL and he's really he's put in some clutch performances for the for the RR obviously that half century which won them the game but also you know just as a completely uh, a complete field feeling feeling unit they, it, it is nice to have someone like him in there and the sort of presence he has well, Rajasthan Royals, uh, you know, they're in a rut of their own. Uh, one, one of their last three games, uh, two defeats on the spin. I really thought that this Rajasthan team, especially when Ben Stokes came back in, could have sort of kicked on a little bit from where exactly they were uh, as a unit last year. But, you know, Steve Smith, great half century, great way to get back into form. I thought Robin Otapa at the top of the order was brilliant. He was aggressive. He allowed Ben Stokes to sort of play, you know, uh, a, a sort of more subdued role. And then, you know, what do you... But again, they got to figure out this order. You know, Josh Butler down the order, uh, strike at less than 100. Sanju Samson got out very quickly. And Ben Stokes, you know, threw his wicket away through the white ball to Chris Morris. So it's another thing, uh, you know, another situation for, for them where, you know, it's sort of like the SRH situation. Do you... How do you sort out this batting order? Because on any given day, Sanjeev Samson can open the batting, Josh Butler can open the batting, Steve Smith can open the batting, and uh, Ben Stokes is opening the batting. So you've got to figure out that order. I do feel like Sanjeev Samson at one down is probably the best position. But then what happens to Steve Smith? Do you send him opening? And if you do send him opening, where does Robin Utapa go? Do you play Josh Butler three down or do you play Josh Butler opening with Ben Stokes? So Ben Stokes can play the long innings and Josh Butler can sort of uh, be the aggressor early on, so it's sort of things that Steve Smith has to has to figure out, and 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 really coming to captaincy. Uh, you know, Virat Kohli is sort of 
I would say Virat Kohli has matured a lot in this IPL as captain. There have been a couple of games questionable, of course, that game against Punjab where De Villiers came very much laid down the order and it probably cost them 15 to 20 runs. 15 to 20 runs which could have won the Royal Challengers the game. So, I think, you know, RCB in, in IPL in general, they've always lacked a sort of squad consistency. Who are their best players? Who are their best 11? And this year, it looks like they've They've got it with a couple of changes here and there. You know, Shivam Dube went out for the last game and they got in Gurkira. And what I feel is that, you know, Chris Morris has been a great addition. You know, Moin Ali can't get a game. Uh, obviously, they lost Kane Richardson uh, for the whole season. So, Chris Morris is a great addition. You know, he sort of boosted the morale of everybody else. Four wickets against uh, the Rajasthan Royals. Udana, on the other hand, was very ordinary against Arad. Three overs for 43. Uh, but I've been impressed with RCB's young young bowlers, you know, Washington Sundar and Chahal. Chahal obviously is 30 now, but both of them together have been bowling really well in tandem. Now Deep Saini can hit the deck hard, he just, he, he's he's maturing pretty well as well. You know, Shabazz Ahmad, two, two overs for 18 runs. And I want to talk about the RCB innings because, you know, they didn't reply to that. And we'll come to the ABW as masterclass, but... You know, Devdat Padekal, uh, he had a sort of honeymoon period early on where he scored a, half se- a couple of half centuries. And now he's, his innings against uh, the Rajasthan Royals, especially RCB as a team, which is very slow in the middle overs. They have a run rate of about 6.8, 6.9 in the middle overs, which is the worst in the IPL. So, uh, Devdat Padekal, definitely his wicket was a blessing in disguise for RCB, which sort of kicked it on to the rest of the team. Uh, gave AB de Villiers the number of deliveries he needed. I really do feel that, and this was a question posed by the commentators, and I sort of agree with it. Do you really start uh, Padikal and uh, Kohli as the openers? So the more balls Kohli faces, the more he's in. Uh, and and you know Virat Kohli as a as a as a batsman, you know the first ten deliveries he sort of weighs the situation, and you know sort of. Uh, sees the situation for himself like what's the pitch playing like what shots where what the field is and then he just goes for it and once Virat Kohli goes for it it's very difficult to get him out and you need a moment of brilliance like you saw with Tabatia to get him out so uh, and Aaron Finch you know he's he's been very polar as well he had that half century but then apart from that you know he's he's he struggled a little bit you know the the technique of Aaron Finch, you, you don't associate Aaron Finch with that, you know, the, the way the bat, bat gap, you know, the way he got cleaned up uh, in the previous game uh, and the way he was he threw away his wicket in this one. Um, but A.B. De Villiers, there is no words to describe this man. He saw 73 of 33 against uh, against the KKR and, you know, RCB put of 194 in charge of. But how about this? When you have... 54 of 4 overs, you know, Gurkirat Singh just scored only 19 of 17. He was on the other end admiring AB basically. And, and that was a one-man show. Six sixes, striking at 250. And I, I was talking about captaincy earlier. And I really want to bring in, uh, you know, the Steve Smith topic back. And, and why he gave Jaidev Vunnakkar the 19th over. You know, you know, uh, Jaidev Vunnakkar is... is can be very predictable at times, which AB did find out. You know, the short ball disappeared over mid-wicket for the first six in that over. And in sort of these like cutters and and, and, and AB, it was it was a game against KKR where the pitch was slow in charge. So AB sort of waited for the ball to come to him. And in the 19th over, he's not expecting Jaidev Vunakar to bowl. 
at full pace because he's no he knows AB can sort of hit the ball lo- a long way, and it's very made it very predictable. Length ball, the second six disappearing as well, and then a short ball again, which went for a third six, and then at that point you give up the game to RCB. Uh, that 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 over really absolutely lost them the game, and then Jofra Archer came in, and you know. He went for 10, 10.5 for over in that game as well. And then really need Jafra to stretch, sort of put up a, a, a good performance. I, I was really impressed with Karthik Tiagi. I thought he bowled really well. Uh, deserved the wicket of Kohli, albeit a really moment of, a big moment of brilliance. But he's maturing a lot. I feel like he needs support. I feel like Jafra Archer definitely needs to uh, up his game. Unarka definitely needs to uh, up his game. I feel like Ben Stokes could be a part-time option. Take some pace off the ball, you know. Uh, go a couple of overs, just conceding eight, seven or eight runs rather than ten or fifteen and towards the death, and it could make a really big difference to the to the final score. So, are again a couple of things to think about. And uh, speaking of struggles, I want to talk about Andre Russell. Yes, it's it's good that the KKR won, you know. Owen Morgan can sort of burden burden a little bit of uh, the, the 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 sort of sort of shoulder shoulder the burden of being a captain, uh, which it was clear on the face of Dinesh Karthik when when you know it was under his leadership. But Andre Russell has just not had his best IPL so far. Nine of eleven against the Sunrisers, and it just feels that you know at this point the comments that were made. After last season, when KKR made the failed to make the playoffs, uh, you know about him sort of again shouldering a lot of the burden on the team in all the big innings he played last year. Uh, so it feels like you know sort of got to him a little bit, uh, and he's definitely not the Dre Russ we knew, we knew from earlier. You know the bowling performances he's been hit around the park, uh, and and in the batting he's just not his strike rates are way down there. Um, so I feel like something needs to be sorted out. I mean, is it does he still feel the pressure to score runs? I mean, looking at the scorecard from the last game, it looked like there were equal contributions from you know, Shubman, uh, Rahul Tripathi, uh, all of them getting starts. Nitish Rana and Morgan and Kartik towards the end, taking them to 163. But Dre Russ, you know, I feel like if he comes out too early. Uh, and then he and then he sort of goes for it very early. So he his role in the side needs to be sort of figured out. He has a big big role to play in KKR getting into the playoffs. Uh, so he he definitely needs to step up. Uh, Pat Cummins needs to step up. But you know Andre Russell's uh, slump. I know he, he may have a suspected injury as well because there were a couple of times in in games where he went down. You know holding his leg, but. If that is the case, then he should be rested for a couple of games. It would be a very, very big gamble to do. I expect Salil Narayan to be back soon after his action was clear. So, KKR, again, a couple of overseas players, most important overseas players for them. And they need to just uh, sort of bring them back in form. Uh, because having uh, Salil Narayan as an opener is absolutely, is, is absolutely brilliant. But they did allow them to bring in Lockie Ferguson and you saw the way he performed. CSK and their game against the uh, Delhi Capitals. Uh, Shikhar Dhawan, first of all, what a, what an amazing century. He didn't get his chances. He was uh, three times lucky in that game. CSK got a really good total, although I do feel like, you know, 
CSK openers have not made the best use of the power play uh, and Fab Duplessis in, in, in general has thrown, thrown away his wicket a couple of times um, you know especially in that game and, and against RCB as well uh, Sam Curran on top of the order I feel like he needs to contribute a little bit more you know he needs to be sort of that sort of Sunil Narayan kind of player where he comes out all guns blazing and gets them off to a start and sort of puts them at at least 50, 52 runs at the end of the power play, which sort of as a base for getting a big score. He's not been able to do that. He lasted only three balls. Uh, Tushar Deshpande went for a little bit, but did get that wicket. Kagiso Rabada has been very consistent in his IPL uh, and probably is the pick to win the uh, Purple Cap this year. He's been, he's been great. Uh, been impressed with Akshar Patel as well. Uh, and, and you know the sort of maturity he's shown in uh, in the bowling department just five points on five and over he bowled really well uh, this tournament and he's sort of been like a very handy player for them to have uh, with the bat as well and I'll come to that final over in a minute but just CSK is batting you know Ambati Rayadu 45-25 and I spoke about him and Watson and Duplessis in the first episode saying that you know you need to sort of up your strike rate and I look at the strike rates here from that game. Duplessis is at 123, Watson 128. So they're just going, you know, like a sort of 1.2 runs a ball. It's 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 not enough. Like the openers, you know, you look at the strike rates that some other big batsmen have uh, in 140s, 150s. Uh, the David Warners, the the Dave the Villiers of this world, and then Ambati Raidu comes in, and, and CSK always have this flurry towards the end. Uh, you know, Jareja played really well with the bat, 4 sixes in his 33. Amazoni again, struggled a little bit, uh, just 3 of 5, and his tournament so far has been forgettable, both uh, as a captain and, and, and as a batsman. But again, CSK's batting order, they, they really need to kick things on. You know, you look at Virat Kohli or someone like a David Warner at the crease, when when they are at the crease and, you know, they're not the boundaries have dried up, they still, you know, milk singles, the twos, convert twos to threes, very busy players. They get down the track, they, they move the field around, sort of like weigh in what options they have for shots. Always play it into the, uh, into the uh, you know, the Virat Kohli loves the gaps between uh, long on and mid-wicket. Sort of plays it into those gaps and gets two runs. He's a very good runner between the wickets. And I look at the CSK players and Faf Duplessis, Shane Watson, Ambati Rayadu, Dhoni is very good between the wickets, but the other three, you know, it just seems that they're not... They're not the sort of quickest between the wickets. Of course, Faf and Shane Watson are in their 30s, Raidu as well. But you expect them to, you know, it's a T20 game, sort of minimize the dots as much as possible. And in that 20 overs, you know, they had 41 dots between between the six Delhi Daredevils bowlers. And that's, that's a crime. Uh, especially, you know, when you can have singles and doubles today. So that's one thing that CSK needs to figure out, and and obviously, you know, Dwayne Bravo that that last over, uh, you know, 19, uh, 19 runs from the over, is was was really you know was really surprising, and and MS told us after the game that Dwayne Bravo had a uh, you know sort of unfit to bowl that over, but I I feel like that was a mistake giving it to Jareja and. Uh, you know, 19 runs is still a lot of lot to play with, but he banged it in short, uh, sort of bowl length, and Akshar Patel absolutely swung for glory. Uh, 21 of five deliveries for him and three big sixes to win them the game. Uh, 
I still feel like you know Deepak Chahar has had a really good tournament. Ten dots, eighteen runs, and two wickets in his four overs. Sam Curran went out of the park a little bit. Shardul Thakur went out of the park a little bit. Janeja, two overs for thirty-five. So if, if those are the numbers he was looking at, you know he could have bowled Karan Sharma. Karan Sharma did go for runs as well, but you know it's it's sort of Janeja again puts pace on the ball. He he bangs it in, which. You know, for someone like an Akshay Patel, allow, allows him to hit the ball further because the ball is coming onto the bat. So, uh, in the end, like another good win for Delhi Capitals. Clearly, uh, at the moment, the strongest team in the IPL, and you know there are a lot of players stepping up there. Rahane, for example, once Rishabh Pant comes back, his spot is sort of in bother because he scored only eight of ten. Great catch, by the way, by Sam Curran to get him out. Stoinis, quick fire, twenty-four. Uh, Akshay Patel at the end winning the game and obviously Shikhar Dhawan really stepped it up half centuries uh, in the previous game and now a hundred. So good things for this Delhi Capitals team. Uh, good things for the top three in general. You know, despite Mumbai Indians lost, uh, RCB are on the wing run, uh, and uh, the only team that, at the moment that needs to actually worry about uh, you know their recent form, especially Sunrisers, the fact that they've gone three straight defeats. Uh, and, and, and you know they're slowly allowing that gap between themselves and the Kolkata Knight Riders who are in fourth spot to get bigger and bigger well that was an absolute hoot uh, that weekend a lot of things to talk about in, in both cricket and football and some really fantastic results and fantastic performances and it was great to be able to share them with you guys um, it, it is going to be a tough uh, season in the Premier League for a lot of uh, in the English Premier League for the, the likes of United, you know, really finding out who they are from last season to now. How how were they so consistent towards the end of the last season and how are they very inconsistent this season? You know, Barcelona, Madrid losing this weekend. And what are their exploits in the La Liga going forward? Tottenham, Jose Mourinho, how do you cast a spell that makes them consistent? Uh, of course, very early days in that season, but in the IPL, we're sort of seeing uh, the, the, the table form up very well. Uh, Delhi Capitals look like the favourites. RCB and Mumbai, uh, two teams who can definitely make it. Suddenly, RCB are much more balanced side than usual. Mumbai Indians probably the most balanced side in the league. KKR and SR are still finding that balance. But, you know, now the bottom four teams are all level on points. So, it's going to be very interesting to see if any of those team can, teams can go on a run and sort of make their way up into the playoffs. Thank you so much for listening to the first Wacko Weekend episode of That's the Hat Trick. I'm your host, Aditya. Again, thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.